This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode of Bushers Breakaway is brought to you by We Made It. We did it together. We finally got here. New York Ranger season is just around the corner, just a couple more days. And just thanks for all the support. Seriously. Um Greg and I had three Ranger games to talk about since March like 12th or something like that. Since the Avalanche OT game that Greg was at. And that's crazy. We're finally here. Uh, it's been a long road. And let's let's see what happens now. Lafreniere, Kako, and all the gang. Artemi, Mika, everybody's here. Come Thursday versus the Islanders. We're going to have all the coverage. We have Shayna and Rick today from The Athletic to talk about the whole team and what to expect going into the season. So stay tuned. And uh, here's Mark Messier to get us kicked off on the 2021 New York Rangers season. Here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Blue Breakaway fans, welcome to the week of the Blue Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Meet of The Athletic. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan, also of The Athletic. It is Ranger Hockey Week. Greg, say hello. Ryan, it's a good thing I haven't bet the ponies in a while. Yeah, it's been a long time because of your the deal you're offering for everyone out there, I'm assuming, is what you're talking about. I've never been more confident that I won't have to pay someone tomorrow in and my entire life. You should explain. Uh, for people that don't follow you on Twitter, that might you know, just be listeners of the show. You are offering cold, hard cash mm-hmm. at, uh, for people that uh, if, if there is a waiver, particular waiver signing by the New York Rangers yep. and they waive Jack Johnson, go ahead, explain the, explain the tiers of what you will give away. So I'm sure everybody saw there was something like it felt like 90. I, I think the number is more like 50. Actually, the number could be 90. Uh, not math guys, not math guys. A bunch of players were put on, waivers today in order to get ready for the new season one name stood out in particular to me it's left-handed defenseman from the calgary flames oliver kylington i believe is how we pronounce his last name not a whatever podcast. we get it wrong not <laughs> not our not our strong suit not what we do um any, anyway he's he's 23 and he's quote-unquote actually decent i'll stop short of saying good if he was good i don't think he'd be on waivers but he, he's a solid solid piece he's a lot better than jack johnson he's a lot cheaper than jack johnson um, he's a possibility that could fill in your bottom pairing for the long term. There are more reasons than not to put the claim in. And I, I was so convinced. I, I the, it, it started by me saying, I'll pay someone $5 if he goes unclaimed because yeah, that would be just ridiculous. It seems insane and that I no wanted, one would pick him up. Yeah. It's ridiculous to think that 30 NHL teams are going to say no to someone like that. Every team should have room for someone like Kylington on their roster. So I said, fine, I'll pay someone $5 if he goes through waivers. And okay. then I got to thinking, hmm. let's up the stakes. I said, screw it. I will pay someone $100 if the Rangers claim him, like they should, because they need exactly that on their team, especially if they're trying to be competitive this year. And everyone is going to tell me that they're trying to be competitive this year. Oh, they're so not. So fine. And then I decided, 
to go one step further because if the Rangers are going to claim him, they have to get rid of Jack Johnson. So I will pay someone a thousand dollars. One thousand. One thousand dollars out of my own wallet if the Rangers claim Kylington and waive Jack Johnson. And this all has to happen before opening night on Thursday. I think that's a fair bet. I, this is the play in the lotto, everybody. Just follow Boucher's break, and we'll just get this done. And just make sure you don't let, you let the Rangers know how you feel. I think it's really important. There's a, there's a lot that's gone on these past couple days. The cuts, actually, for the taxi squad were in today. We're actually going to have Shayna and Rick Carpinello on in a little bit. Uh, they're gonna, we're going to do a full-season breakdown, get their feelings on everything that uh, going forward. But we have the official roster. Should we just quickly go through it, or should we wait for them? I mean, it's not official official yet. Matt Robertson is still hanging around just in case. That's true. Uh, but here are the projected lines. Uh, and I think these are, are pretty solid set in stone at this point, except for the defense, and we can argue about that. And I'm not sure what – but the offense, I think, is pretty much this is it. Chris Kreider, Mika Zibinijad, Pavlovich, Nevich, Classic, KZB on the first line. No problems, if ands, or buts about that. Mika says he doesn't – he's not 100% sure if he'll be ready for Thursday. Uh, he also announced that he had COVID which um, I guess we kind of knew because that was – they were like, if you – never mind. We got went to that last week, but pretty much they didn't say anything, so he had COVID, and then he admitted he had it. So hopefully he'll be ready for Thursday. If not, I wish him a happy, healthy recovery and get ready uh, to play games later in the season. Second line, not a uh, surprise here either. Artemi Panarin, Ryan Strom, and Capococco. Some camp notes today. Capococco put two by Igor. We saw no videos because you can't watch any of the practices or scrimmages. Third line. Lafreniere, Philip Hedl, Gauthier, uh, which has been the same line the entire camp, so that's pretty set in stone. And the fourth line is where it kind of gets a little bit wonky. Right now, it's projected to be Lemieux, Brett Howden, and maybe Phil DiGiuseppe with Kevin Rooney as an extra. I can see Rooney playing the center and playing an important part in the penalty kill. Any uh, disagreements with those lines so far? I mean, no. Yeah. Uh, mostly, mostly anything that... I guess it depends on what happens opening night. If opening night comes here and Brett Howden is slotted into that first line because Mika Zibanejad isn't ready to go, well, I'm not going to have a really fun time. No. Uh, but when everything's healthy and all things set in stone, half six of one, half dozen the other, if you want Di Giuseppe or Rooney in the lineup. Ideally, it would be Rooney and Di Giuseppe, but we're not going to get that. So I, I don't think it's really worth getting too up in arms about it. Uh, no, I, I, all things considered, I think those, that top nine is exactly what you would want it to be. Like they didn't upgrade from Ryan Strom in the off season. They weren't going to put Strom on a third line out of camp. I honestly prefer Heedle playing with Lafreniere Same. and Gauthier. I don't need to see Heedle between Panarin and Kako just yet. So no, no complaints. I, I I'd say that's as close to what you would hope for when camp started as you could get. Same. This is where things get a little more interesting on the defense. Uh, I'm very happy with the offense. I hope Mika's happy and healthy for Thursday night versus the Islanders, and uh, we get to see him play. That'd be great. The defense gets a little... Mm, I think we can make some questions here. So, Keandre Miller has officially made the team. We've been uh, championing that. I'm so happy he made it. They made it work. And uh, it looks like he'll be paired with Jacob Truba. Now... I don't know how long that lasts or how long they try it, but from the one practice they got to try it, and I think this is uh, worth saying again, they've had like, I don't know, 10 days to figure this whole thing out. So Keandre Miller currently is paired with Jacob Truba. Now, this brings up an interesting question. Do you leave Ryan Lindgren with Adam Fox? Yes, they are roommates. Yes, they have chemistry. Or do you pair Adam Fox with Tony D'Angelo? 
than bringing Ryan Green, Ryan Lindgren down to play with Brandon Smith on the third line. This is something you could kind of fluctuate with and play with. Like we saw last year, Greg, a lot of times when Quinn wanted to generate instant offense, you put Tony D'Angelo next to Adam Fox. And I wonder if he goes to that again or if he actually just goes with, hey, it's Jack Johnson, Tony D'Angelo is the third pair. This is what we thought worked the best in camp. Um, Yeah, I, it's tough because this, this question would be a lot easier if the Rangers just brought in another right-handed defenseman that would make playing on that third pair a little bit more manageable for Lindgren or for whoever. Um, I personally, this is going to sound crazy. Mm-hmm. We've said crazy things before. I'd rather have a top four of Miller, Truba, Lindgren, and Fox, and then have hmm. Brendan Smith be my third pairing left-handed defenseman with Tony D'Angelo. Like, I'm not I'm not desperately looking. Greg, none of that's I was desperately crazy. Looking for, I was desperately looking for situations to get a Tony D'Angelo in the top four at even strength because I didn't want Jack Johnson in the top four at even strength. But now that Jack Johnson will not be in the top four at even strength, I don't really care if Tony D'Angelo is in the top four. I, if you want D'Angelo as a bottom pairing, even strength defenseman that provide generates a ton of offense, both on the power play and at even strength, sure, fine, go for it. I think you can live with his defensive shortcomings if that's the case. That's great and wonderful. Um, and I almost, I mean, again, I, I prefer situations where Jack Johnson just isn't on the ice. But the difference between D'Angelo and Smith and D'Angelo and Fox, six of one, half dozen the other, I don't really care. Uh I, a lot of my Tony needs to play on his offhand was generated from the standpoint of, I just don't want Jack Johnson to get a lot of ice time. It seems like the Rangers uh, will see on opening night, right? Mm-hmm. As much as we say, David Quinn doesn't like using his fourth line. He has typically uh, rotated his defenseman pretty evenly. And we know Jack Johnson, for whatever reason, is going to get time on this team's penalty kill. So his on-ice minutes are always going to be I was be just about to anyway. say that, Greg. That's how we pretty much can confirm that Jack Johnson has made the team and probably will get playing time right away, is that during practice today, he was on the second penalty kill drills. Yeah, so he's he's going to get his ice time. He's he's going he's gonna to be up there, but I I don't know. I, I don't need... I don't need Lindgren playing minutes with Brendan Smith if I know for sure that Lindgren Fox works. Like, I I don't think the Rangers are going to have problem generating offense, which is what D'Angelo and Fox do specifically well. Um, I don't I, – I like that top four as is. I love Truba and Keandre Miller. I think – that pairing makes a whole lot of sense. It's what we've it's been gonna, projecting for years at this point. Like this is yeah, what we wanted to it's, see. It's going to be it's going to be a lot of pressure on Keandre Miller to be good out of the gate, and we know that Jacob Truba, his performance can be dependent on who he's playing with. I mean, we saw him at his worst with Lieber Hayek. He wasn't playing well when Brady Shea wasn't playing well, and then when Brendan Smith was just simply playing average, we saw some of Jacob Truba's best hockey. You could make the argument that that happened because Truba just had more time. Um, in the Rangers system, had more time in New York, had more time adjusting to new teammates. What you make, you can make any conclusion from that as you want. But it seemed that as though the, when the play quality was going up with Truba's partner, it seemed like more pressure was taken off of Truba, and he was able to be himself a little bit more. And that was a very good defenseman when we were seeing that. I, Keandre Miller, it, it's a lot to ask out of the gate for a, 
essentially a teenager. I think he just turned 20, but he's still a child for all intents and purposes. It's going to be a lot for him to play these big minutes early. I don't think he'll get on any penalty kill time. Adam Fox didn't his rookie season. Mm-hmm. I don't think Miller, of course, is nowhere near the Rangers power play units. They have plenty of other defensemen that can well, they have too many offense. options for that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so Keandre Miller is going to be able to focus at five on five and he's going to play with one of the more sturdy defensemen in the NHL on his offhand, who's been around the league for a very long time and has played with some incredibly talented players like Dustin Bufflin. So it's, it's a perfect pairing if you're Keandre Miller and I sure hope it works out of the, out of the gate, because if it doesn't work out of the gate, then we do have to have conversations about whether Tony D'Angelo needs to play on his left side. But if, if we're running with Truba Keandre as a, as a top four pairing, I, I I'm no longer looking to move Tony to his offhand. I'm really not. I, I understand moving him to his offhand guarantees us Jack Johnson out of the lineup. I think we're kind of kidding ourselves about getting Jack Johnson out of the lineup. Jack Johnson is Keandre Miller protection and Miller made the team. Johnson was still going to make the lineup. And now if Miller isn't on the team anymore, Johnson's going to get moved up and we got to worry about Tony again. But if, if, as long as Keandre's here, I would just leave Tony on third pair. I, if you want to, I, again, would prefer not Johnson with him, but I, I don't need Tony playing with Adam Fox because I know Fox Lindgren works. I'd much prefer Brandon I, Smith. Much, much prefer Brandon Smith. It's, yeah, it's but like that's because you'd much prefer, you'd much prefer someone that doesn't stink as opposed to someone who stinks. I also just, like, I, I have an affection for Brandon Smith and I think he's done more than he's ever been asked to do here. The guy was left for dead twice on this team. And now he's still yeah, here I, doing whatever we ask. Yeah, him. I, I don't know. I'm, I was looking for Tony to play in the top four when I thought the other alternative was Jack Johnson. Now that Keandre Miller's here, I feel like we've answered that question and Tony can go back to doing whatever the fuck Tony does with a bad left-handed defenseman. That's old. Shouldn't probably be playing big minutes anymore. And we'll just suck it up and take it. I'm going to do something, say something that no one said in the past week. You know, I kind of feel a little bit bad for Tony D'Angelo in this situation. No one has ever said that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Because he had to play against Mark. Like, listen, we love Mark Stahl. You know, I'm happy to see him. I hope he's happy in Detroit. And whenever I see his face, I'll smile. But he, Tony played a lot of his year last year with Mark Stahl. And if he's going to be playing with Jack Johnson this year, like, that's tough pairings, man. Like, no matter, like, what you think about Tony, like, that sucks. Like, I I would like to see him paired with somebody that's competent. And that's why I think Brandon Smith at least, you know, say what you want. Like, he's not good, but I think he's a suitable third-pair defenseman. But I think Tony could do even better because the one thing we've we've talked about all last year, and I even defended him a little bit back then, is that Tony can't defend. He like just can't do it. He's talked about it himself. He's like, I can't really. He's like, I'm sick of hearing people play de- uh, that I can't play defense. Well, he can't. He's a, like a he's a, he's a great offensive defenseman with tremendous scoring potential, who has had struggles defending. And if we could get him a defensive stay at home partner, maybe he could succeed even more. But that being the case with Jack Johnson, that is not happening. That just isn't. And Brendan Smith might provide him a little bit more luxury than Jack Johnson. But we'll we'll see about what exact, exactly happens with those pairs. Let's go back to Keandre well, Miller. It, okay, sorry. Well, just the last point on Tony is mm-hmm. that the thing that makes his pairing with Jack Johnson the more, the more frustrating is because, in theory, the Rangers are right. It's just that the way the Rangers execute it is so ass backwards and wrong. In theory, what should unlock Tony D'Angelo and allow him to – utilize the things he's actually good at, which is usually puck possession and offensive scoring opportunities and driving those plays is a stay at home left-handed defenseman that can 
cover his ass when he wants to go rogue a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. So in theory, that's what the Rangers thought Mark Stahl was, and that's what the Rangers think Jack Johnson is when they're just not. So like on but paper, it's, it's they, like, they like think this is a good strategy. Like, oh, yes. Jack Johnson can't skate forward, so he'll stay home when Tony takes, takes risks to get goals. Yes, that that's what make what makes it the most frustrating mm. is because it's not that the Rangers are wrong. Their theory is correct. It's just the way the Rangers are evaluating the talent that needs to support that theory is broken. But their idea with how they've been pairing Tony D'Angelo, it's made sense. That's exactly what you should be looking for. T- Tony with Adam Fox isn't a perfect pairing because there are things Adam Fox does that to- that's redundant with Tony D'Angelo. And it's not – they're – a perfect defensive pairing are when there aren't redundancies. And it, it's like when with Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren, there aren't a lot of redundancies there. Keandre Miller, we're going to learn about a lot about his game. And it, it seems like he's, he describes himself as a shutdown defender that isn't afraid to throw his body around. Jacob Truba's not afraid to throw his body around, but Jacob Truba also has some offensive prowess to his game. Absolutely. With, with Tony, the idea is right. It's just the way the Rangers continue to go about it is just so broken. Like, Mark Stahl was his quote-unquote stay-at-home defender because he couldn't fucking move. Same thing same with, Jack with Jack Johnson. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're big bodies, but they're, they're stay-at-home defenders because yeah. they can't skate. Yeah, There's a difference. It's just it, – it stinks because I, we can't knock what the Rangers are trying to do with Tony. It may, Well, we can't knock what the Rangers are trying to do with the on-ice performer that is Tony D'Angelo. We can't knock we the other knock thing because we, we don't what know what they're doing. Do. It's in private, Greg. Yeah. That's it. Just like the scrimmages. Uh, it's the exact same thing. They're not thing. doing anything. That's why it's private. It's it, private. It, whatever. It's private. Idiots. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, yeah, you would want someone more defensively responsible to be paired with Tony because Tony's going to go off and do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. It's like a metaphor for life. But that's what and, Tony That's what Tony does well. He takes, he takes risks. He storms the net. That's just what he does. Yeah, but the problem is Jack Johnson's not going to cover his – I'm not even going to call them mistakes. His his placement on the ice will not be covered up by Jack Johnson. Got it. Would they be covered up by Brendan Smith? We don't know. Have a better shot at it, that's for sure. I like Brendan Smith. I don't care what anyone says. Um, uh, let's go back to Calgary Miller, and I think it's important to say this. While we are driving the hype train, I am – that train is at full speed currently. I couldn't be happier that Keandre Miller has made the team. He – struggled in college and he hasn't played a game since last March and his first game back will be at an NHL level versus the Islanders who are quite a good team. Uh, Keandre Miller is going to struggle, especially in the NHL defensemen notoriously develop slower than offensive players. You saw what happened to Capococco last year, who was noted as NHL ready. Keandre Miller is, you know, they say in camp, he's looked really good. They say his strides are great, he's skating well, he's playing well, and camp is great. That's great that you could do that, but practice is never the same as a game. So you're, what you're going to get ready for is the development of Keandre Miller. There are going to be times where Keandre looks awesome and he makes the right play, but there are going to be other times too where he has he makes a his hockey sense just isn't developed yet. He has only played defense for four years of his life at this point. He switched from being an offensive player in high school. He's about to turn 21 next week. That all being said, you're gonna there's gonna be some growing pains, so get ready. Like there's not there's not gonna be time to flame Keandre Miller. There really isn't, because this is a 56 game season. You if you're a Ranger fan, you think the team's competitive, or at least you want the team to be competitive. Keandre gives you the best shot, but there are going to be serious growing pains for Keandre. 
I am hyping him up. I do believe he's underrated by people like or even like our friend and, and coworker, uh, Corey Pronman, who didn't have him on on his 159 players under 23 this week, but yet had Brett Howden so high on the list. That still hurts me. And to, it, it hurt me. It hurt me. It really did. Corey's been on this show, and he, he speaks very highly of Brett Howden. But to not have Keandre Miller, who we're very high on, who just made the team, who's going to be playing serious top four minutes on this defense – to be under 23 uh, is is really a disaster. And I know Corey does does great work on those lists, but Keandre is going to have a chance to prove himself, but it's not going to be without growing pains, Greg. And it, it don't get on him too quick, just like we didn't get on Kako too quick. There'll be moments of brilliance. There will be, but there will be painful moments where Keandre gets dismantled by what is the most deadly division in the NHL right now of, of being the Mass Mutual Eastern Division. I think part of what makes the stakes for Keandre a little unfair is we're a year removed from the greatness that was Adam Fox's rookie season. And Adam's also older. It's super important to say that. Right. That's the next point I was going to make it. Yes. It, it, Adam Fox is a full two years older than Keandre Miller. Adam Fox was also playing a different level of hockey, not in terms of competition, but Adam Fox's game was just more mature than Keandre Miller's game was when they were both in college. When Adam Fox left Harvard, he was a Hobie Baker finalist. If he went back to college, many people had him as the number one guy to likely win the hockey's version of the Heisman. It's just like, the, it's. I don't want people to judge what Keandre Miller is going to do on a nightly basis in comparison to what Adam Fox was able to do as a rookie. It, it's just, it's not going to be the same learning curve. It, it's almost like, we ignored a lot of the struggles that Cabo Caco was having as a rookie because of Adam Fox's brilliance. And while I don't think Keandre Miller is going to struggle at, at the level Caco struggled at last year, I think it's a lot more likely that Miller is leaning towards where Caco was in terms of on ice performance than where Fox was. It's, it's just, it's, it's kooky to think that every rookie defenseman is going to play like Adam Fox played it. It, it's an unfair expectation, and I don't think any Ranger fan should have it. I I do think if we were talking before camp started, what would be the ideal situation for Keandre Miller to start this year? Him pairing with Truva is pretty fucking ideal. He's being put in the best situation possible. And to those who think that, I, I saw a couple people on the Twitters say that the Rangers, by simply carrying Keandre, were putting him in an unfair situation because – they just they don't have like a, a safety net for him. What else would you rather want them to do? This is the best like, thing for him, like the, by the, far. He needs the the AHL isn't playing for another another month. Uh, the Wolfpack has two teams they play against, Greg. Two. Yeah, but but not just that. It's just like this year is should firmly be a developmental year for the Rangers because it's it's so batshit and kooky. It, it's nuts. The Rangers like Keandre Miller is going to have to learn shit quick. He's going to be playing Patrice Bergeron and <laughs> David Pasternak yeah, a lot. These are guys like he he grew up watching win cups and like from his room, and they're going to be coming at his face like this week <laughs> on his tour yeah, the week before he turns twenty one. That's insane. I, it's it's it, there's a benefit to learning on the job. Now, do I think teams should allow their players to drown? No, we've said this many a times. You should mm -hmm. always have lifelines. For your players. And if that means, honestly, if Calgary Miller is struggling to a point where the Rangers need to take him out of their lineup, fine. That you that probably means the Rangers as a team 
are kind of sucking it up anyway. So I'm not going to worry about Jack Johnson playing big minutes in that scenario because it sure seems like the Rangers are bad anyway. Um, let your kids figure it out on the job. You just like that's part of development. In part, development isn't you send the kid to the AHL, they dominate it, and then they quote unquote graduate. Yes, that that's great when that path happens for that player. That's that's not every developmental path. No, it's not, not linear, every prospect man. needs to follow the same linear curve. So, I don't think the Rangers could be putting Keandre Miller in a better situation. He's going to learn a lot. We're going to learn a lot about him. But again, it's just important to remember this kid's 20, 20 years old, and he's going to be playing against some of the best players this league has to offer immediately. Opening night, he's going to be playing Matt Barzal, and he's going to be playing uh, Anthony Beauvillier. These are insanely talented players. And he's going to be going up against a guy like Barry Trotz, who is smart enough to take advantage oh, of the, any weakness that you they're show. They're going to exploit Keandre the first night. Like, if you don't think they're going or to go right at Keandre, that's They're going insane. to go right at him, but maybe they won't be able to exploit him. And if they can't exploit him, that's great. That's not something he would have been able to learn or show playing on the Hartford Wolfpack this year. Again, if correct. he struggles, 100%. If he struggles, the Rangers need to reevaluate how they're handling Keandre Miller this year. You can't let your player drown. To a certain extent, that's kind of what they did to Lieber Hayek, right? Hayek struggled so much at the NHL level that it almost felt like the Rangers didn't know what else to do with him. Yeah, they had to send and him his, down. They had to. Yeah, but but then he, they, didn't, they didn't address anything. They just sent him down, and his game continued to flounder. And now, Development now, is now the kayak is, is sunk. That's it. Yeah, I, I honestly I don't see a path for Lieber Hayek to play in the NHL with the New York Rangers. Ryan Clark mentioned him as a guy that Seattle might be interested in. Not anymore. I, I, we didn't understand it when he said it. I, I, I'm sure he'd still say something like that today. But I, I can't sit here and tell you that Lieber Hayek has a clear path to any playing time with the Rangers. No, they're looking Lieber for Hayek now. Yeah, he's, he's going to be he's going to be behind Matt Robertson on the depth chart. Uh, he'll be behind Zach Jones when Zach Jones comes to this organization on the depth chart. He's firmly what the fifth or sixth most important left-handed defenseman the Rangers have by far at best. Yeah. Yep. It's a it's, wild it situation. stinks. It stinks. You hate to see it, but I mean, Potato is going to be the left-handed defenseman on the taxi squad that the Rangers will get into the lineup first. Maybe Hayek sticks on the taxi squad as well, just to continue to give them looks, but. Hayek, he tanked down the – this was Hayek's chance. It was. It really was. I, I understand that Keandre Miller had a lot of fans, especially in David Quinn, going into this camp. Uh, but Keandre Miller had to do a lot in order to get into the opening night lineup, and he did it. And Lieber Hayek – this was Lieber Hayek's race to lose, and he lost. It sucks. It sucks for him, for sure. Hey, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Rick and Shayna. Let's take a quick transition. Transition. Hey, we're back with two guests today. We have Shayna Goldman and Rick Carpanello. We're doing a full athletic roundtable preview podcast with the podcast boys and the two main writers for the New York Rangers. Rick, how are you doing? I couldn't be better, and I'm so happy to be on with Shayna. Oh, wow. It's it's so great to hear your lovely voice. Shayna, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here with, with all three of you. This is fun. It's just It's just so emotional for me because it's been so long since we've gotten to do our jobs where it's actually to cover hockey instead of like, Hey, what are the best 10 Rangers of all time? Or I'm going to review uh, or one of the 17,000 podcasts that Greg and I have done that are like, what would it be like hanging out with Chris Kreider in a maze? Something like that. Um, so uh, let's, 
let's go forward here with this and actually preview the season a little bit. Let's start with the offensive lines. Rick, was there anything that surprised you coming out of camp? I know it's been a bit of a different camp for you. There's been mostly, well, almost exclusively, uh, virtual access via Zoom or via shaky cam scrimmages or practices that you have access to. Have you taken anything surprise away from the offensive lines? Does anything come off to you? Or is that just everything every, Everything went as predicted uh, going into the season? Yeah, well, from the, as far as the offense, you know, the forward lines, I, I don't see there's any, you know, there's hardly any change from last year except for, you know, adding Lafreniere and, uh, and certainly uh, Kako moving up. But, uh, you know, and I think maybe the surprise is that Kako has been the best player on that line so far. You know, I, I think it's, Again, I wrote today that maybe it was the uh, camera angle or something, but I don't think Panarin had, and Strom had a great camp, um, and maybe that's worrisome given what happened in the bubble. But I, you know, I, I kind of chalk that up to uh, a lot of really good players in this league don't crank it up during camp. And, um, you know, one my main uh, example in my story was Mark Messier, and, you know, his, he did pretty well after camp. Um, but, you know, I, I think I thought that Panarin had some jump today and um, I expect that that will be a good line. Um, although I think they're going to be missing some of the pieces that Jesper Foss provided them. Uh, so it'll just have to be more of an offensive line, I would think. And uh, other than that, there really aren't very many surprises up front. It's kind of, you kind of probably could have drawn this with a pencil back in August. Uh, Rick, th this this question will also play into the first question I want to ask Shane as well. But since you're you're the one of the four of us that were able to watch practice on a daily basis, should we be buying the Pavel Buchnevich hype coming out of this camp? Uh, I thought he was good. Um, it's really hard for me to say that he was terrific when, first of all, he didn't have Zabanejad playing with him the entire camp, and secondly, uh, I'm kind of watching kind of trying to keep my eyes trained on guys like Lafreniere and Kako and uh, certainly, you know, some of the defensemen, the young defensemen. So um, it's hard to say that he was hyped, overhyped or underhyped, but I thought he was, I thought he was good during camp. I, you know, I certainly think that uh, he didn't have a bad camp at all. Shana. And Shana, T oh, sorry, Ryan, uh, <laughs> just everything surrounding Pavel Buchnevich, it being a contract year for him essentially with restricted free agents coming up at the end of the season. Do you think Buchnevich is playing with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder? Is there something Buchnevich needs to do different in your eyes to prove to people that he's finally here, that he's the real deal? I feel like this is a player that always has a chip on his shoulder. I think from the time he started with the Rangers under Vigneault and, you know, under Quinn, because everyone, especially when Quinn came in, it was very clear that the team um, knew that he was a good player and had these expectations for him. So now it was a matter of playing up to that. And obviously there's been a lot of criticism of his game over the years. So I think the chip might've gotten a little bit heavier, but in another way, I think that there should be some confidence about how he ended the season, especially um, when Chris Kreider started going, because when Kreider was going, he was sinking whatever line he was on. But when he started um, heating up again, you could see the three of them, that have had this chemistry and we keep saying we see glimpses of it, you know, it, it all came together. So if Buchnevich can carry on what he was doing last season and that was possessing the puck, shooting it a little bit more, and that is something that he still has to work on. And, you know, I know a lot of people will point to his disappointment after, 
you know, that's why he has the nickname Captain Happy and all that. But you can see it's not that he wasn't engaged before. I'd say I think you can just see it taken up a notch that he's much more of a puck hound than he was before. And he's getting into the plays even more than he was. So I don't want to knock what he was doing before, but I think I rather want to commend what he's been doing since. And I think that's going to bode well for him, especially if Zibanejad, when he does return, you know, I feel like he might be the slower starter of the three because his stamina might be affected. He could have more fatigue dealing with COVID and not having the same camp that everyone else had. So if Buchnevich and Kreider can carry that line for a little bit, if needed, it'll help him stand out even more. Chael, quick Am I allowed to interrupt now? Oh, yeah, interrupt, interrupt all you want. You, yeah. your, it's your podcast, uh, I think, too. I think Buchnevich, <laughs> you know, Buchnevich, first of all, you know, the Captain Happy thing is mostly in fun. Because yeah, of, I like I think it's expressions. fun. Yeah, no, I know. It is. And, they, and Quinn legitimately likes the kid. He really does, and he has high hopes for him. Um, and I, but I think he's a kid, too, who deserves a lot of credit for getting coached up and for accepting, you know, the spankings here and there like Tony D'Angelo has and like some others have in the past and some haven't, some haven't responded. I think he's responded to and understood what's needed for him to be an effective player. He knows he has the skill and everybody knows he has the skill, but he, he became in the second half of the year before last, even he became a, a much better player. And last year, as Shana said, in the second half, he was really, really good, really strong along the walls. And, and he did the things that he needs to do besides, you know, use his offensive skills. And if he does those things, he's a really good hockey player. And, 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 he's, and he's a pretty smart kid, too. He's not, you know, he jokes around and, and he acts like he doesn't understand sometimes, but he's a, he's a pretty smart kid. I agree with that. And I want to, with the coaching up, I think that's a credit to him for accepting it. And it's a credit to David Quinn, because I think maybe the first year wasn't connecting as much between the two of them, but you could see how Quinn better learned how to, you know, communicate with him and, and work with him. And you could see how Buchnevich was receptive to it and just how the two of them, once they were on like that same page, it really did change his game. So I definitely think like the best thing about Quinn has been the team's resilience. And I think that's something you can see in Buchnevich, even if he made a mistake, even if the play wasn't going his way, whatever it was, that resilience is like what took hold in his game. And you could just see that confidence. It just was like a switch was flipped on that you know, we saw glimpses of, but it was that consistency. Well, this is, I have a perfect follow-up for this, uh, Shana. Back in August, you wrote an article talking about Kapokako and the struggles that are projecting what he could be doing after the struggles of year one. You sort of just mentioned how David Quinn struggled with getting, like, sort of translating the message to Buchnevich the first year. How is David Quinn going to have to handle Kapokako in year two, and what is Kapokako going to have to do to change his game uh, to, to actually be an effective NHL player? Um, okay. So I think the thing, I think we know that David Quinton has experience with talented players. And I think one of his strengths is understanding how to communicate with each player because every player is differently. You can't just have the same method for everyone. And it did seem like they struggled with Kako and they admit it. And I think the fact that they did admit like we're struggling to, it's not just that Kako is struggling. We're struggling to figure out how best to motivate him and how best to help him reach his potential. Um, a big thing of it though, like, his, his skating wasn't where it needed to be at points. And his line mates were an issue at times too. So there were so many things that went into him having a negative season. A lot of it was in his control. A lot of it wasn't. But I also think it was such a busy year for him. He played so much hockey in such a short time. There were so many expectations for him. And then he had rest. 
and you saw him return in August and he looks so much better. And then because Foss was out, he did get to play up with Stroman Panarin. And that was the combination so many wanted to see him in sooner. So I think the coaches understand him better now after having a year to work with him. And I think that he probably had so much time to look back on his game and go, this is where I need to improve. This is where I need to train. And also I'm going into the season rested, which I'm sure makes a huge difference for him as well. Um, I think the thing with, you know, obviously I look at things from an analytical approach and the numbers are absolutely terrible for Kako. And it's not that they're not warranted. It's just, it really does influence all of his projections, which is why when you see one of those charts and it shows his numbers, it's so jarring because they look horrible because it's only based on that one season. We know what Kako did before he came to the NHL and it was great. It's why he has such a high ceiling. Does the first year affect his outlook, you know, moving forward? It might, you know, there is reason to have some doubt, but I think that we can be confident in the fact that he is a very good hockey player. He's going to be playing with better players this year as well, which is going to help boost his game. So, and the coaches, you know, know him better. So I think that's all a combination for success. Um, maybe if it's not like a breakout year, as long as it's steps forward, but I wouldn't be surprised if he completely broke out like this or next year and he gets much closer to that ceiling that everyone's expecting him to have. Yeah, Rick, I kind of want to get your, your your take on that because Quinn yesterday yeah. said, you know, coaching Kako this year is like night and day and we haven't gotten a chance. Yeah. Really, there's been no pictures other than like one picture of Kako on the ice from media availability so far to the public. What have you seen? Well, I've seen a guy who looks bigger. He says he's faster, you know, and it's hard, again, it's hard to see with a camera above the rink that's barely moving. Um, but he said he's faster. He says he's worked on that quite a bit. But the main thing is his confidence. And, and if you're a coach, how do you, how do you, you know, there are ways to build confidence, but how do you, manufacture it and that was the problem last year was getting him started because when the few times that he played with confidence he played very very well and, and we all saw that promise that Shana talked about and also Shana I'd like to ask you too you may know this off the top of your head you may not what were, were Jack Hughes's numbers similar to Kako's last year yeah yeah, yeah. you know so yeah, yeah. Both yeah. Of so them, I mean that yeah. both of them were and crappy you know, but I think Kako's yeah. were Right. Far below. But Kako, de- Kako dealt with, you know, a number of things that Hughes didn't deal with in terms of the, the culture of, of living here and the language barrier. You know, Kako's understanding was pretty well, but he doesn't speak it very well. And, you know, all those other things, plus you said, you mentioned the long, long season he had come off of. Um, you know, there were a lot of issues there. But what I do see a kid who is a little bit bigger, a little stronger, and he says faster. Uh, which which is really, uh, you know, that's a great tool for him to add if he can add some speed. Um, but we know he has the hand skills and, and the hockey sense to be a good player. He's willing to to go into areas where he's going to get the puck from Mark Henry Panarin, you know, and he's smart enough to find those holes in the offensive zone. Um, so I, I think he's going to have a pretty good year. I, I'm not ready to say that he's mature enough yet to, to be, you know, a star player type guy. Or even a, or even a top line type guy yet, but I think he will be, and um, I think we'll start to see that this year. He just he does have a better attitude, and uh, he's another guy that the, you know he and the coaches have a have a lot of talks all the time. They want to make sure that he understands things, and um, but they they realize how low he got sometimes mentally, and they they struggled with ways 
to get them out of that. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's I guess that's natural. You know, how, how do you create confidence? You know, you have to manufacture it sometimes, and I, I can't imagine that's easy to do. Rick, the to piggyback off that point you were making, uh, we'll, we'll get. I want to get to Keandre Miller in just a second, but a final Kako related question. A lot of focus is going to be on Lafreniere's rookie year. I think Keandre Miller has done great in camp, which has generated a lot of buzz about him as well. Is it going to help Kako that he actually isn't the guy this year? We're talking about his confidence. The expectations are going to be off his shoulders because a lot of people are going to be looking elsewhere at the beginning of the season. Do you think that's actually a good thing for Kako out of the gate? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely it is and, and and but you know but also being more comfortable yeah but the, getting the attention off of him for a while uh, is going to be great for him but but also obviously you know having the, the familiarity and the comfort and the comfort um, will certainly make him a better player I think that you know it was interesting too he was on the on the zoom a couple of nights ago and he said uh, he was talking about helping Lafreniere which is kind of fun, you know it's kind of funny and he said that you know Lafreniere is a great player and he, he sees that already. But, you know, here's a 19-year-old helping a 19-year-old, and they're kind of in the same boat, very similar boats. And uh, so, you know, there's, there's that little bit of level of maturity, too, which is, is kind of cool to say. Um, I've never covered a team this young. You know, <laughs> this is all – it's all kind of fun, um, especially when the expectations are reasonable. If, and if they are reasonable, this, this team's going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, and a lot of fun to cover. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know that they'll be able to keep it reasonable because they really want to win. <laughs> so we'll see. Rick, it's good that he's coaching him because he might be playing on the same line as him for the next decade. So they might, they might as well become friends really exactly. quick. Exactly. Uh, Greg, I didn't exactly. want to cut you off there. I know you got a follow-up for Miller. Uh, well, I just I, – I, that's the natural transition for Has us to be. go. And, I'll, I'll, Shane, I'll, I'll go with you first. So much time, specifically on this podcast, and all four of us have talked about it, We've been trying to find a partner for Jacob Truba. And there was so much fear, maybe generated by Ryan and myself, about how <laughs> Jacob Truba was probably going to start the season with Jack Johnson. It sure doesn't seem that way anymore. Could you think of the options in camp that there was a more natural partner for Jacob Truba than Keandre Miller? No, no, absolutely not. Um, because if you look at it, unless you were breaking up Lindgren with Fox, which I, like when we talked about it last time, I really didn't think they wanted to do that. It seemed like the coaches are very um, into them being a long-term pair. You know, they're young, they worked last year. Why why fix what isn't broken? Um, unless you wanted to have a shutdown first pair. And if you did, then Lindgren was the guy to do it because I don't think I would have seen Smith getting that crucial of minutes. Um, and he was someone I said could be it. I really didn't think it was going to be Johnson to go on the first pair. Like it wouldn't have completely shocked me because I know how much teams value veteran presence. And obviously it's his former assistant coach is going to be the assistant coach here working with the defense again, but everything about Miller, it made sense. Um, the thing with Tony D'Angelo was, and my concern would be um, it, it would force, it would force uh, Truba to be the defensive defenseman which isn't what he should be when he was with Josh Morrissey Morrissey was the more defensive of the two and was better at breaking up plays so Truba could move the puck ahead and could push the pace of play and that's what you want in a pair if it were the other way around we know that while Tony D'Angelo is great at advancing the puck he struggles with 
entries against. And he struggles with those breakups that it just would have forced Ruben into a role that I think would have been a little bit difficult for him. And I'm sure they could have found their footing, but I think the best way is to have him play to his strengths. And I think someone like Miller is capable of that. And I think that, you know, we know that he has the offensive upside and he should be capable at uh, advancing the puck and helping create zone entries for. But I also think that, you know, between his size, his length, and his defensive insight that he'll be good at, you know, balancing that role with Truba. So you have both defenders capable of moving up the ice when necessary. And, you know, they can play off each other to go back and forth and really defend the blue line instead of it being so focused on, you know, one partner doing one, one partner doing the other. I think that this is going to be, if they stick together and work, it could be a really balanced pair for the first pair. And that should be ideal. And they don't, Truba should be the defenseman that's thrown into the deep end like the most. It seems like that's he's the most natural fit for it. And I'm not saying he won't be with Miller, but I think the fact that they know that they have Lindgren and Fox who can handle a lot can take some of the strain off. So if they want to um, balance those two roles deployment a little bit more, it'll work out as well. Rick, Rick to you. If you, saw, if you saw, <laughs> Shane, if you saw Miller as the, the one that made sense before camp, then I'm giving you four gold stars because – I sure didn't, and I didn't only. I only didn't because he's 20, and and he's, you know, he's played college hockey. He's played defense for what three years. Uh, he's never played a pro game, and that just doesn't happen in the NHL. I mean, Ryan McDonald needed a half a year in the minors. Uh, you know, yeah. it it just doesn't happen. And um, I thought he'd have a really good chance to make the team, especially with the taxi squad, but I didn't see him as first pick. Now that said. I didn't see what other possibilities there were either. I didn't, I, you know, I never thought D'Angelo would work. I wrote about it a lot, but I didn't think it would work. And certainly I saw the possibility there that it would be Brendan Smith again. And, and God forbid, right? I mean, you know, Truba needs a better partner than that. And, uh, you know, Jack Johnson, I don't think he was ever going to be considered a top pair, but he, but he's in the lineup right now. And, and you know, that's, that's going to drive some people crazy too. But, but Miller has just been spectacular. And, and also, I've seen them together only twice, you know, yesterday in the scrimmage and, and today on practice. Truba looks so good with him. Truba looks so comfortable with him. And that's important, too, is, is that Truba gets comfortable because they're paying him a lot of money and they're expecting an awful lot from him. Um, the, the fact is they can both defend. They can both go up in the play. They both have offensive skills. They both have good shots. And they're big. And uh, they're going to see plenty of guys like Matt Martin, you know, starting Thursday night. And um, they're going to have to handle that. But, you know, Miller's a guy who, and again, I'm not giving him, I'm not putting him on the all-star team. And I'm not even saying that in three weeks he's going to be on the number one pair, but he may be. But he's a guy who's built for that stuff. Um, He's a really mature kid. He and I texted a little while ago. And uh, he really, he, he won't even let on that he's excited, which I think is so cool. Like, he's, you know, <laughs> he's not nervous. He thinks he, he thinks he belongs there. He thinks he's earned it. And he has earned it. He worked his ass off. And I talked to uh, the guy who trained him all summer. And he said it was an awesome six months playing with, working with this kid. Uh, so he's, you know, he's just a, he's just a guy who, he, he didn't come out of nowhere, but to go from where he was to first pair, it's pretty remarkable. And if it works, what a godsend it'll be for this team. Oh yeah, we are uh, we're we're accepting designs from everybody on how we should design our Keandre Miller praying mantis merch at this point. Absolutely, yeah. If send ideas our way, we have it ready to go. Um, Miller, like, hey, did you see that note? I did you 
excuse me, did you see the note I had to that story? That would be the first time in Rangers history they have six U.S.-born uh, defensemen on the roster. I did not see that. In the lineup. Wow. That is interesting. If Johnson played if Jack Johnson played. God bless America. Speaking of uh, American Patriots, uh, Tony D'Angelo uh, is the is sorry is the is the moving to the left experiment over? Is he, is he just going to be back to playing right hand defenseman now? It, it appears that that's what's happening here. Yeah, you know, I mean, if, unless they want to move Johnson Smith to the right, it, you know, there's no point in moving to the left um, unless they want to. Unless you know, if Keandre doesn't do really well there or has a problem and they want to revisit uh, D'Angelo with Truba, that might happen. But uh, if he's not with Truba, I don't see him playing left side. I don't, I don't see any reason for him playing left side. So, Rick, break this down for me. Like, we couldn't watch the scrimmages. I've been complaining about it nonstop. I can't stop subtweeting the New York Rangers about this. Um, th- there was a scrimmage where Tony and Truba let up, like, six goals is or were part of the six-goal, like, uh, stopping by the other side was, and then after that night, that kind of pairing was done. Was that the moment where Quinn was like, "All right, we just can't do this," or was Tony just not naturally comfortable on that left-handed side? Well, I think that first scrimmage was was a crap show. First of all, so I don't think you take anything for granted. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that D'Angelo and Truba were on for that many of those goals. Okay. Um, and I know one of them was like a 60 foot shot that uh, Howden tipped in. Yeah, it was just it was just one of those ragged first scrimmage of the season games where you know, you don't you don't really worry too much about uh, one pair looking bad. I I didn't think that they stood out as looking awful. So that's that. But you know, I, I think Quinn and, and Jack Martin and, and the staff, you know, they, they go over these films. They they watch the thing that we watch every day repeatedly and in slow motion and and with you know zooming in and they they really go over this stuff and they pour over it and i'm sure it's easier for them to see something they're looking for or, or not looking for that pops up uh than we do so I, I don't know what the triggering point was to to ending that experiment but uh i don't believe it was just that scrimmage you know, and I, nor do i nor would i say that either one of them uh, distinguished himself in that scrimmage. Shana, I know I took great personal joy in this today, and I, I think you shared it as well. Uh, the Rangers have a lot of penalty kill time that they have to fill on this team without Jesper Faust and Mark Stahl being on this team anymore. Adam Fox finally getting thrown around into penalty kill minutes. How excited are you to see that? Did you celebrate a little bit inside like I did, for sure, when I saw it? I've been trying to plan you know, what kind of stories I want to do and what I want to focus on this year. And I, I, I said it like a couple weeks ago. I'm like, I'm going to focus on the penalty kill because there's a new coach running it. And I want to see what the difference is. And I did it a little bit last year, but I'm like, I am tracking the penalty kill. And then five minutes after thinking about it, I'm like, do I really want to do this? Because I, I picked these stories. Like I told you guys with the Jack Johnson story, I'm like, I'm going to go watch hours of tape. And I did. And I went, why did I just do this? Like, like I'm not enjoying this enough, but, um, this is this is what like I am excited for because I think I think that teams are so quick to go for that one dimensional defenseman or one dimensional forward to go on the penalty kill to go in that defensive shell and we've seen it for years with the Rangers. There's so many defensively inclined players, 
but there aren't enough with that offensive upside. And then the goaltender has to handle everything because they're just facing so many shots against. Um, obviously, you want to have defensively minded players, but you want to have players who can push the puck up the ice. That has to be the entire goal. You want to kill time. And I think more teams should be embracing that power kill style because you're just finding ways to kill time off the clock, even if you're not creating offense and you're just forcing them to regroup, like the if you have a higher percentage chance of scoring on the power play if you're in formation. If you stop the team from doing that so con- you know constantly, you're gonna mess up their game and you know you're gonna lower the chance of them scoring against you. And that's the whole idea of it. A player like Adam Fox is great for that because he is so poised in the defensive zone. And that stood out from day one, which I didn't expect. I expected him to become that, but I, I didn't expect it, you know, right off the bat. He was in situations where you would see so many players, especially a young player, panic. And he didn't. He would spin away from it or just carry on and find a way to make the outlet pass. I think on the penalty kill, that's exactly what the Rangers are missing because we didn't see that enough from Ryan Lindgren or Mark Stahl. And it's not to knock what they were doing. It's just that they didn't take it and you know enough steps forward. Um, a player like Jesper Foss was great at disrupting the play. They don't have that, but they still have Zibanejad, who's very good at it. Kreider, you have the speed. And obviously people are going to think of Grabner because that did create offense. But Kreider can be good at just breaking up the play, and if not, skating the puck down and doing things to just waste time. Um, he's a player I always wanted to see on the penalty kill, but it just never happened. So I didn't think, you know, like that would ever become something. Adam Fox, I think, showed last year. Yes, he's very good offensively, but he's so good defensively and he does it so quietly. So maybe it doesn't stand out because he's not racking up hits and blocks, but you know, defense, the whole idea is stopping something from occurring. So if you're doing something quietly and you're not ever being picked at for making a mistake, that's a good thing right there. So I think that it'll blend in really well. So you have players like um, Zibanejad still and a player like Lemieux, I think is really good on, on the penalty kill when he isn't the one taking the penalties. Um, it can take this, penalty kill up a notch and finally become a strength because I think that's been a weakness over the years. And while there's been improvements, it's just not enough. And they're going to be facing tough power plays. You're going to be facing the Bruins who are good shorthanded and well on the man advantage. So if you can try to push it back that now your power play, we already know is a strength, but now the penalty kill is, is as well. You have a much better chance at doing something this year. You guys will be happy to know that Pushnevich took a couple of twirls on the penalty kill the last couple of days. So uh, that's interesting too. And I, and I couldn't agree with more about Fox because, and not just because he, I think he'd be really good at it, but because coming off the season that he had last year, you want to give him more minutes. And that's simple. You want to give him more responsibility. That's very, very simple. You know, Tony D'Angelo is still here to run the power play a lot and probably ahead of him on that chart right now. Uh, and maybe not, maybe not for long, but, on the penalty kill, you can give Adam Fox more opportunity, more assignment, more responsibility, and he deserves that, and he needs that. He, you know, when when I hate to keep saying Brian Leach in sentences that end in Adam Fox, but I do. And and Brian Leach needed that stuff. He needed the, for the coach to send him out in situations where you know he was the all-time offensive defenseman. They turned him into a really good you know two-way defenseman because they let him do things and, and they, they counted on to do things. I think Fox needs that. And, and if it'll get him an extra three minutes a night or two minutes a night, so be it, you know, and, and he's certainly young enough to handle it. He's certainly in good enough shape to handle it. And he's certainly good enough defensively to handle it. So, uh, so why not give it to him? Uh, I also wanted Shana to check something for me sometime. 
because she, she probably doesn't know this, uh, but somebody told me these stats, okay? And I'm gonna okay. just, I'm just gonna throw this at you. When Henrik Lundqvist was in net last year, I heard the penalty kill was 71%. And that when the other two were in, it was 82.6. That could be true. The thing was, it was that he was playing (laughs) so often earlier in the season. And I was looking at, yeah, and they were like the difference between the net that Chesterkin got into and Lundqvist got into were night and day different because of the adjustments they made at even strength and on the penalty kill. So I would believe yeah. that because yeah. like, I, I know I, I think last year I posted it like the heat maps to compare it just so you could see where the shots were. It was just completely right in front of Longquist in areas that, you know, it wasn't good for either the other two, but it, it just wasn't nearly as bad. And I think like October and November really just ruined it for him. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. But I also think that, you know, the other guys really handled the dump-ins much better and kind of forced the team to carry it in sometimes uh, because they get it out so quickly <laughs> where Lundqvist didn't. <laughs> but, I mean, that's going to be another strength of this team is that both of their goalies handled the puck very well. She's working unbelievably well. I think that will help them. We are officially 30 minutes into this interview, and I haven't said this name once. Rick, how has Alexi Lafreniere looked? And has he been comfortable on the ice being the number one overall pick? I'm assuming he's been showing the confidence he's had his whole career up until this point. But give give the people out there who haven't got a chance to watch him score like or play in these scrimmages, what is it? What has it been like seeing him on the ice? And is is he everything you expected and more? Well, let's put it this way: we talked about Kako's confidence last year, uh, and you saw the few stretches that he had where his confidence was high, that's what Lafreniere looks like. <laughs> it looks like Kako when Kako's hot confidence was up. And he's been really good. And, and the guy he's playing with, Hedl, by the way, has put on some weight and worked on his skating and has made, uh, made it his goal, to, no pun intended, to score more goals. <laughs> so that's, he, he wants to shoot the puck. And he's worked on his shot tremendously over the summer or over the offseason. And so I think those two really have something there. Uh, Lafreniere has looked really good. Uh, certainly, you know, he hasn't jumped off the page statistics-wise or anything, but the, the chances that he's had, he's buried. The, chance, uh, the passes that he's made, it's fabulous. Um, you know, he's just, I think he's going to be another level above what Kako was last year and, and maybe a lot more. I, you know, I, don't, I, I hate to say 19-year-old kid looks for 30 goals or something, but but I, I think he's really good. I think he's really ready for this. So uh, it, I think I think he's uh, his camp's been terrific by by my standards. Shana, you did an article a couple months back for the Athletic, uh, not a plug, I guess, or it is a plug. I don't know. <laughs> um, where you kind of ranked or or what to expect out of number one overall picks. What should we be expecting out of Lafreniere? So. it's hard to group it just as number one picks because obviously you have different positions and players with different experiences and they're coming from different leagues. But the generalization was that most first overall picks do come in and make an instant impact um, because the majority do go directly to the team or they stay with the team for most of the season. And Jack Hughes was the exception in the last, I think I went back to 2007, eight because of like the data limitations. And he was the one that fell below average across the board, but 
there are some players who can reach elite territory in year one. And like Patrick Kane stands out as one and Austin Matthews was up there. And there were a handful that were top line caliber or even just middle six. I think if you can get middle six in year one, that's a win. Um, Especially when you consider the team that he's joining, because, you know, as much as the Rangers might improve in some areas, they still have a lot of weaknesses and it's still a lot for someone to keep coming into that. And it's a really weird year. You know, he doesn't have, preseason to prepare for you know this team he's jumping right in um but it's definitely like the usage generally is more middle six to start for a forward and that's kind of where like they should be aiming I think it was a game score value added was like 1.6 for a first overall pick and just to compare like Jack Hughes was just in the negatives at like minus 2.5 so it shows you like the range that you can get um but there is a lot to be optimistic about uh, when you consider his game and that it looks like he'll have a good combination to start with because Gautier is definitely an interesting player that I think that if he has a playmaker, maybe he can take his game to the next level. Obviously we didn't get to see that that much last year and he was on the fourth line, which limited what he could do. And I think that there's a lot to be confident in with Hedl. Um, Like Rick mentioned, just everything coming into the season, his preparation, the strength, um, he's up his game and he's someone that it, you want it to be a make or break year for him too, because he needs to take those steps forward. Um, and I think he has a much better chance of doing that with higher caliber line mates, which he's going to have this year. And, and Rick, you know, he's coming to a team. He's coming to a team. Oh, excuse me. Just one. He's coming to a team that has wingers. So yep. he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to play that top six. He can play that middle six. And uh, and he may be up and down in that middle six too. He may, you know, he some who knows. Some point he may go up to to the first line, but uh, and and he'll switch some things around. But yeah, you're right. He's he's a guy who's he fits and he doesn't have to be forced. Uh, Rick, what I was going to ask, I I want to take Keandre Miller out of this because I think he will be the answer to this question for just about everyone. Who wowed you the most in camp? Who surpassed? Maybe maybe you weren't setting expectations on guys, but who did you walk away from camp being like, oh, him? That's going to be something this year. Well, you, you just you stole my name. Well, I, I I knew your name was going to be Kadri, so I want to know who the other guy is. That's hard because it's I don't think anybody's jumped out nearly to that level that that he did. Like, again, you know, Lafreniere's been good, Kako's been good, Hedo's been really good. Uh, you know, but it's really hard to see. Uh, and and again, this is where we where we really miss the exhibition games. Now, I know the coaches learn a lot in practice, learn a lot more in practices than we do. Uh, but without the exhibition games, it's hard to see. You know, it's hard to to see a guy jump out. And, and Miller jumped out um, in the summer, so we figured he was going to jump out a little bit here. Right? We didn't know to what ex- extent. But uh, to say somebody else jumped out at near, nearly that level, no. You know, again, a lot of guys had good camps, a lot of them. Uh, but I don't think anybody leaped out like that. Uh, Shayna, I guess well, this is one of my last questions here. What do you expect the game to even look like when it comes to this Thursday versus the Islanders? We don't know because of Vinajad's playing, but this will be technically an exhibition game that will be a real regular season game at this point. Yeah, I'm going to expect it to definitely be a little disjointed to start. You know, like it's similar to how we saw play resume in the bubble. It did take teams a long time to get going and they didn't have that chance. You know, it was hit the ground running and the Rangers were a team that were behind the ball and they stayed behind the ball. So 
Um, I think this year they should have, you know, more jump than they did when they returned in August. But I wouldn't be surprised if the first game is a bit sloppy and it just takes a minute, especially if Savannah Jed's not in the lineup because he's such an important player in all situations. And they want to get set. They want to get acclimated to everything that they're doing that you want to have one of their most important players who plays in so many roles to be there. But um, I think it's a good in a sense, like, because they don't have as much time to prepare, they didn't have to focus on every single team in the league and scouting absolutely everything. They're going to play the Islanders. And if they completely screw it up and play like total shit, they have a chance to regroup against them really soon and study everything about that one team. So I think that might help them recover a little bit faster if they are sloppier. And, you know, we'll see that with so many other teams because their, their focus doesn't have to be as wide and, I think this is going to be a cool year because you're going to see teams really focus in on their opponents and there should be more adjustments when a team plays each other three games straight and they get absolutely killed by their power play. There is no reason for an adjustment to not happen for the very next game because they know let's try it out this game. We still have one more game to make it work. And every time they play them, they can be aware of that. You know, there should be so much more that's matchup based in that way. And I think it's a cool opportunity for coaches because they don't normally do that. They would play the Islanders and maybe they won't play them again for four months. So why change anything if it's not a problem against any other team? This year, if you have a weakness against one team, you're going to have to figure out a way to fix it quickly. So I think from that perspective, if it is sloppy, there's a lot of ways to learn from it. That's a great point too, Shana. That's a really good point. And and, and also in, in the Preparation East Division, Preparation H Eastern Division, um, or whatever they're going to call it this year, the uh, the the Rangers are not going to be on planes. They're not going to be going time zones. They're not going to have, you know, have a, a six game road trip. All these things are going to work in the favor, not just of them, but of all the teams in the East. That you know they're going to they're going to be have time to do more things to do, even if they don't practice every day because the schedule's a little more jammed. And I don't know that it's terribly more jammed. They'll have time to to go over film. And to make adjustments, and, and that, you made a great point about them playing the same team over and over again. Because so many of these series, if you want to call them that, are two games or three games against the same team uh, in the same city, in the same building. So uh, that's going to be pretty cool, eh? and it, it'll be interesting to watch how the coaching staff handles that. Rick, uh, you talked about how easy this is going to be for players. Let's let's make this let's make this at home. Are you ready to write a game story just about every other day? Are you going to be okay? Well, since I can do it in my pajamas uh, <laughs> with a sandwich, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to be fine. Uh, you know, it's going to be really weird. Uh, I, I don't have to go to practice every day, so the day after a game, I don't have to drag my ass out of bed, get dressed and showered make my way down to Greenberg uh, as, as opposed to I can stay home and do the Zoom in the morning and go back to bed if I want. It's you know, I'm ready for this. Um, I'm going to miss being around the players. Certainly, I'm going to miss the access. I'm going to miss being able to talk to, you know, Keandre Miller after a game or be able to talk to Alexis Lafreniere after a game, you know, and in private and, you know, see what he's thinking, what he's feeling and get to get the uh, get some relationships building too uh all that i'll miss but i think in terms of covering the team uh it's going to be kind of pretty simple you know in a, in a lot of ways and uh i don't like it but but it'll it shouldn't be too difficult 
Well, you still have access to the practices and scrimmages that we don't, but otherwise we're on the same page now. So congratulations. Um, I have no other final questions. I think, I think we could do this for another hour, but let's not, um, due to oh, time. Come on. Oh, you want to keep, all right, fine. So with Jack Johnson, let's throw over the first goal on a penalty kill. What song are we playing? <laughs> it's honestly, man, it's going to be such an interesting season. I think the Rangers are due for some ass kickings, to be honest. It's really about development. And I know, I know, I guess I, my actual final question is, Quinn's gone into the season. I still think he has a um, get-out-of-jail-free card, to put it some way. He just, he, no matter what happens this season, no matter how disastrous it is, I still believe the Rangers will have faith in David Quinn. What should we look for this year as, as we begin to open the window that is the New York Rangers Cup contention out of the coach David Quinn, who was meant to come here and develop? Do we, like, how do we know he's getting ready to come here to win or ready he's transitioning to the winning period out of the development period. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's the unknown man. And also, you know, he's in year three. Uh, they're not going to win in year three. They're not going to win the preparation H Stanley cup in year three, they're, but they're going to be, uh, you know, around the corner. It's around the corner. So say, let's say year four, they have a chance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, how many coaches have made it through four full years? Right. I mean, None, but like Dino made it made it five, uh, and the last one before that was like uh, in the twenties. So, you know, to say he's going to be here for years five and six, I don't know that. It's, it's hard to say. And, and coaches have expiration dates; they all do. You know, John Tortorella he expired himself. Unfortunately, he did a great job here, but he expired himself. And so, I don't know. And we can't know if he's ready to coach a winning team. And we don't know what kind of NHL coach he is with a good team. But I do agree with you. He's here for this year. Um, the expectations should be realistic. And I think he's i think he's a really good coach who's done a really good job. Now, but that, again, when they're ready to turn that corner, when they're ready to, to go a couple of rounds in the playoffs, we don't know that yet. Um, I, I kind of hope he's here because – you know, a guy who puts in the grunt work with a team uh, and builds it deserves to be here when it's good. Uh, but he may, you know, he, he may be and he may not be. But this is a free year for him. I agree. Yeah, I think – sorry. No, yeah. after you. I was just telling you to go, so you did it. Nice job. Um, I agree with that. It, it does suck, you know, to think that this coach would come in when the team is absolutely terrible, put in all this work, and then get fired, you know, right before that they are anything. And I think this year it should be a get out of free, uh, get out of jail free card, unless the things that have made this a David Quinn team, like the resilience and all of that, if that's not shown, and it, it they have to be like legitimately that terrible, which I don't think they'll be, that there's no hope, there's no improvement. It's just stagnant and awful or just declining um but the thing is like he was the right coach at the time for the rangers when when he was hired and i know it probably comes off that like i don't like david quinn as a coach because i constantly talk shit about his decisions but like that genuinely is what i feel like i should be doing like my job is to nitpick things and analyze them and you know it's easier to be mean than nice you know but there there are things that I've disagreed with and things that I have agreed with, but the bottom line was he was the right coach at the time for the Rangers when he was hired. That doesn't mean he's going to be the right coach at the time of them contending, which wouldn't even be a knock like per se to his game, uh, to his, like to his coaching. I mean, um, you can look at Nashville and Peter Laviolette was the right coach when he was hired. 
he was unquestionably the wrong coach when he was fired based on the way he was deploying his forwards. He came in for what he was going to do. He did well until he didn't. So it's on the coaches to be more inventive when things start getting stale or to adjust their methodologies when it's not working as much. And if Quinn can do that, he'll extend his tenure. But I also do think like Davidson came into this, John Davidson, and this wasn't his coach. It wasn't his general manager. And he is seeing it through. But if it doesn't work, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Knobloch does get that call up from, from the AHL because that was the coach that they hired. So it's their guy in a way too. Like they have someone who they could view as waiting in the wings. And if that's only if it completely and totally doesn't work with Quinn. And I'm not saying like it's not going to. It's just interesting because he was the coach brought into it. So will he be for the full process? Like John Cooper came in, the lightning were bad, and he rode them fully through, even though there were bumps along the way. And there were a lot of questions of whether he even would have been the coach last year after their elimination. So it, it really does depend on like how everything goes. But this year bought him time. And ideally, it, it gives him a chance to show how he can adjust things. Because like as we were talking about before, this is the year to show that you can do it. And if he can and get them through it, and they're constantly tweaking and constantly improving, I think that he just extended his tenure. Rick, final question when, for me. They go into, if they go, okay. I just want to say, oh, no, no, no. if they go, go into I... anything like, if, if they wanted to go into any, if they go into any kind of tailspin that looks like that Carolina series, that's going to damage him. But yep. I, again, I agree with Shane. I don't see that happening because I, I think they're so young and so energetic and so resilient. Um, and they do have, let's face it, <laughs> even for, for a team that might not make the playoffs, they have a pretty good roster. Um, they have a lot of good players. They shouldn't have, and with their goaltend, they should not have extended losing streaks. Um, and they shouldn't have periods where they look disinterested like they did in Car- against Carolina. Uh, that, that will definitely be a mark against him, but that probably is not going to happen. Rick, the final question for me, uh, since I have money on the line, absolutely <laughs> 0% chance Jack Johnson gets waived tomorrow, right? I, would, I, I never say zero. Oh. In the high 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. One lucky winner uh, out there. Okay, okay coach. <laughs> well, the good, Rick, the good news is you follow us, so you might be the random follower that oh, gets $1,000. Might, might be eligible. That's nice. A little bonus. Stimulus <laughs> package from BSB. That's my pay. That's my nice. pay. Can, nice. you, can you fix it? Can nice. You, can you fix <laughs> it? <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Rick, why don't you plug what you do? Write the athletic, I guess, and then you're a friend, you're a dear mentor. What else? I am. That's the that's number one on my resume is that you guys are my friends. That's it. <laughs> Hell that, yeah. That you really like me. And, <laughs> and it's always been this way. It's never been any different. No, it's we never, were, I've always never felt had, that way. We now defend you constantly, had, in case you're wondering. So <laughs> making up for it. We've never we've never had a rough moment. Nope. We've never <laughs> Nope. Not once. Nope. So uh, <laughs> You can follow yeah, Rick and read I, Rick at The Athletic, of course, where we also work. And then, Shayna, uh, <laughs> you also work at The Athletic, and you put articles there, too. Wow. Great plug job, everybody. Um, really amazing. Amazing. Anything else I'm missing, though, Shayna? Um, well, I mean, I have, I, have a th- I have a thing coming out Wednesday, so on goalies and, you know, goalies versus the schedule. And, uh, and if you didn't mess, yeah, know, if you didn't yeah, mess, I go still, support Shayna. Yes, you know. Buy my masks, watch me talk shit on the internet, look at pictures of my dog. Yeah. Dude. That's <laughs> what I'm going to do, too. By the way. That's my favorite. 
that's my favorite part of the season starting up is, is seeing those dogs. They're hype. We saw them plenty in the off season too, but I, I just like it seems like more realistic. When, I, you know, I lied. I do have one final question. Rick, on Thursday at the end of the first period, when you take your phone out and you begin <laughs> to type good period, how many question marks are we go in man? Like five, six? What are we doing, huh? I'm no, trying to give no, you the spoilers. See, now, you dis- now you disappoint me because you're not paying attention. <laughs> what would I do? It's one question mark after the first period, oh, two question marks after the second period, and if it goes over time, there's three questions. Oh. Wait, but is it phone so, or computer? Which are we tweeting from? Usually phone, I think. Yeah. But, okay. But either one. I'm, yeah. I use phone. I like, I'm, 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 I like I'm, a... I'm, I'm, I'm Andy the ambidextrous. <laughs> Rick, I like how you had to answer that with "I think." Like you, you're the one doing it. You can't remember. Yeah, but it's not like you. It's not well, like I count it, it how. Depends. If, I'm, if I'm sitting on my couch, I use my phone, and if I'm sitting on my desk, I use my computer. I'm gonna put <laughs> 20 question marks. All right, we're getting out of here. This has been a blast. Thanks everyone for coming on and tuning in. We're gonna go transition back to the uh, five star questions segment. Thank you so much, both of you, and we'll talk to you very soon. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for having us. Hey, we're back. We're doing an extra long show today because it is the first week. We promised some five-star roasts and five-star questions. We have a mix of both um, coming up this way. We actually have a lot of five-star questions more than the roasts. Some of the roasts are, are only – they're pretty true and not that mean at all. So let's go through some of them, uh, and uh, let's just go a little bit of lightning round through some of these questions as we before, go. Before we go lightning round, Ryan, we should make mention of something we talked about with Rick and Shayna before. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, after, we, after we stopped – recording the interview it's something we'll talk about a lot more as the season goes along it just didn't really come up today uh Pierre-Luc Dubois probably going to be a Ranger yeah we think I think there's I think the Rangers will make a competitive offer one person uh, I think uh the keynotes on Twitter something like that made some good points like it could be Winnipeg his dad's there but Dubois has mentioned at least so far in the reporting that he'd like to be in a bigger market and Winnipeg is not that market now Winnipeg doesn't have an airport yeah that's a good point uh, they, they have some good taxi drivers, though. Shout out to our friend Murat. So uh, I, I think Dubois will have a, a, a pretty good chance to be on this team in the next year. I think the Rangers will have a competitive package, but that does not mean that competitive package will, of course, include Lafreniere or Kako. But no matter what, that's exactly what the Bouchard's going to – I mean, not Bouchard, Jesus. Uh, uh, CBJ is going to ask for first. They're going to say, hey, what about Lafreniere? What about Kako? Corton says no to both those. That's not how negotiation works, and uh, there's no reason to be outraged thinking either of those players are going to be traded. Kraftsoff could be on the table. You know, one of the defensive prospects could be on the table. I think you could see the next year's first overall pick could be on the table. Uh, but I don't think certain players like Heedle, I think players that are, are, are around and are going to be – important for this team moving forward will be kept to get this to get him and I do think the Rangers have the leverage in this situation uh, I think Hedl might be on the table but I will also say all I'm going to say is New York-based sports franchises have been doing pretty well in trades with Ohio-based sports franchises recently I can't I can't think of one all right uh lightning round uh this is this is from a couple weeks ago but we're going to try and hit a bunch of things here so here we are uh will Zavidajad still be a Ranger after he's a UFA two seasons from now I think that there's a lot of questions there and uh, I think we could do. We're going to do a whole podcast on that in the future. I'm sure and positive we will. But Mike, well, I'll say this: if if the Rangers include Heedle in a trade for Dubois, yes. If the Rangers somehow get Dubois without having to include Heedle, I think the math becomes a little bit more complicated. Right. Uh, this is from. Uh, by the way, that was. I'm sorry. I want to credit everybody. That was from 2021 greater, 2021 greater than 2020. No doubts there. 
<laughs> so, are we sure uh, it's been a very long 11 days it's Ryan. been one you. week since you, okay uh so zimaj number one fan says one more nonsensical scenario before hockey comes back hey guys love the podcast despite the lack of ranger news during the offseason one of my favorite episodes is when greg uh went off during the lafreniere era uh, about the possibilities of the rangers in the 2022-23 season with the speculation, Barzal not signing back with the Islanders, even if he does, he did at this point. Can we have one last manic rant of possibilities of powerhouse power plays or powerhouse players we can land during the, that season? Keep up the good work, Matt Kind. I think there, I think there's going to be a lot of, at play for the New York Rangers in the next couple of years. A lot of money is going to be coming off the off the shelves, and a lot of teams are going to have self-imposed salary cap. Uh, they're like we just talked about it. Dubois is. It's going to be a big target for the New York Rangers. They're going to check in. JD has a history there. They have a working relationship. I think that should be the number one your player you're looking at. But that doesn't take the Rangers out of other star players either. It really doesn't. The Rangers are going to be looking to open their window very severely in the next two years. But you, you the man who says the Rangers will definitely trade for Jack Eichel by 2022, I think, isn't going to stay Jack fine. Eichel's I, name? I, I think Jack Eichel will be a Ranger. There. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that's it for that one in the like round. Uh, DC from Long Island says, with the news coming out of Columbus that Pierre Dubois is potentially demanding a trade, do you see the Rangers getting heavily involved? Trade discussions? Yes, absolutely. As we just talked about, Happy New Year's, he says. Uh, Constant Frog 360 says, hey guys, thanks for the podcast. We've seen the show for over four years now. Never miss an episode. Well, Jesus. Listener from Sweden, by the I way. I missed a couple episodes. Same, same. Listener from Sweden. Can you do an over-under projection for the amount of points every player will have in this upcoming 50-game season? Thanks for the... Oh, God. Uh, thanks. You're the best, Felipe. Uh, I, we can't, and I, I'm going to do a cop-out answer here, and you're not going to like it. Uh, you might like it, Greg. You will, because we won't do it. This season, what? this season, you may not, you may or may not believe me, but there's a pandemic happening. And what? Yep, yep. And it's going to be a weird season, not only for points... Uh, but for, for projections for players, because there might be missed games. We don't even know if every single team's going to do 56. Like, the NBA is currently having a meeting tomorrow to, to crack down on things. Now, the NHL is doing a little bit of a, a regional bubble, but that doesn't make that much of a difference. So let's see what yeah, happens. Yeah, we already don't know when the Stars are going to debut this year. Yeah, so let's see what happens with that and go from there. Uh, uh, just remember that it's a 56-game season, not an 82-game season. So, like, do I expect any Ranger? I know, I understand that the Rangers Twitter tweeted out that Mika scored 41 goals in 57 games last year. It's great and good. Uh, tight schedule. A lot of back-to-backs. I understand there isn't a lot of traveling, but I, I think just if nobody on the Rangers tops like 50 points this year, I don't think that's crazy. Agreed. Uh, here's our first roast. This, what? Is from, this is from Disgruntled in Paradise. This podcast is a disaster. Again, nothing, nope. <laughs> no lies so far. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the hosts is a major jerk who would clearly be much more interested in a Mets podcast or a Premier League or a horse racing podcast. And who's so, so he's talking about you? Yep. And who's so like so purpose in life seems to be finding misery in every place he looks. The other is is a host is a millennial snowflake who, for some unknown reason, tolerates the abuse that's heaped upon him every week after week, and he seems to enjoy it. The only redeeming factor of this show is that it has all. They've somehow duped the great Rick Carter Pernello into appearing on it from time to time, mostly likely out of pandemic boredom. Although, quite honestly, he's probably thinking he should have just kicked both their buses butts when he had the chance. That's you know cool. what? Yeah. I'd rather be the miserable prick as opposed to the millennial snowflake. Yep. So here we go. It, there's no lies detected, honestly, in that. Uh, this, uh, yeah. Here's the thing, guys. Everywhere you look, there's fucking misery. Just because I'm talking about it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> you found it. Sheeple. Uh, uh, <laughs> open your eyes. This is from Willie 12 This is the lamest roast I've ever read. Five-star roast. Okay. Ryan needs to learn to pronounce names. That is all. Will. 
you dick. <laughs> no, I mean, you do suck. Yeah. You He's do. got a point. Yep, he does. Uh, FBI 2.0. Hey, guys. Hope all is well. Hope you guys had a nice New Year's. Two questions. Uh, from best best to worst, in, in what order do you rank all hockey tournaments? I'm not exactly sure what this means. Like, World Junior Cup or, like, what? Like, I guess, which hockey tournament are you most excited to watch? The playoffs, and that's it. Like, I love Olympic hockey. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't love it more than I love the playoffs. If the Rangers aren't involved, I love it more than I love the playoffs. Like, it, as from a neutral perspective? Yes. Like, I'd rather have a Ranger, I guess, Ranger playoff run, Olympic hockey, uh, non-Ranger playoff run, World Cup, the IIHF World Championships, like, cricket tournaments, and then the World Juniors. I didn't, I just, I don't <laughs> give a shit about World Juniors. So little. Yeah, I watched, America. I, I hear America won this year. Cool. It, I watched the them. finals. It was fun. Um, that was it. All right. Uh, we actually made a big boo boo last week. Uh, we do what? New- yeah, we did. This isn't even a roast. It was just someone correcting us. We had we got multiple multiple reviews. One was three stars. I'm crying. But I, I love three star reviews because it was like you you know what you didn't do that good, but you still did good enough. Uh, multiple people talking about us. Uh, we we said you know who's from Avon Far- Avon Fa- Old Farms last week, and we didn't mention oh, Bri- Brian, Brian Leach. Leach is yeah, also oops, from Avon. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sorry. Yeah. Oops. Uh, there's one review that's really long about the Mets. Uh, I'm not reading that. Oh. No, it just what? says it's no. It says stop talking about the Mets. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's five minutes on the Mets. Francisco Lindor had his intro conference today. Yeah. Um, uh, choose. This is man. Met. I I just I still can't believe he's a Met. I really can't. You. I can't believe for you, and I don't think you're done. And I think Chris Bryant will be a Met very soon. And I'm very upset. No, I don't think so. I I I I truly don't believe Chris Bryant will be a Met. If the Mets trade for a third baseman, I am convinced it's Nolan Arenado at this point. Can't you can't you can't say anything to sway me off that belief. All right. I'm the gonna... Rockies are poor. And the Mets aren't. There you go. That's it. That's all you need to know. Uh, this is from Choose Another Network 43, Five Star Roast. Greg, the brains to be an evil genius and a Bond-level villain with plots to take over the world, but thankfully too obsessed with gambling and other things we shouldn't discuss in open forum. For an- you said this is a roast? Yeah. That's like the <laughs> nicest thing anyone's ever, ever said to me. For enacting a plan, Ryan, the desire to be an evil genius cult leader, but has a plan to become the next L. Ron Hubbard and creating a new religion, has turned out to be a very effective way to get... Get on the MSG Jumbotron. These are very true statements. I'm confused. What about mine? Am I supposed to take like, am I, I guess, I don't know. Am I supposed to not want to be a villain? I I thought that was nice. I thought that was nice. This, uh, that, that was sweet. I think if I told my mom that, she'd be like, oh, yeah, my mom's, my mom's proud. She's clapping right now. She doesn't even know why. Uh, this is from Isolated with a bunch of numbers and letters. Hey, guys, been listening to the pod. This is a roast. I've been listening to you guys since you started. Hi, hi Ryan. As someone who claims to be the quote-unquote media, you'd think you'd take a second to learn how to pronounce players' names. Man, they got me again. This is typical uh, a typical Greg retort. This reminds me about the times the Mets signed slash this guy did insert random Mets player name. Didn't this year insert year. <laughs> I should make note that today is Ray Ordonez's birthday if okay. we're talking about this. For example, this reminds me of the time the Mets signed Steve Tur- uh <laughs> Tarshall says good luck uh, with Traxel, you dumb fuck. <laughs> says good luck with Ryan. Are you shitting me? Good, Wait, good did you do that Ryan. on purpose? No, I did. Uh, good, good you luck. You really did that on purpose? No, I did. No, they say, it did, does say good luck at Ryan in 1998. I know Greg is going to say something about Francisco Lindor, but hockey stats this week. But who cares? Is a hot dog a sandwich? Who cares? Love the show. <laughs> Hope you guys get more guests from the Athletic. I don't know how you guys do it. That was a good roast too. You uh, really, you really couldn't say Steve Traxel. I, I I don't see the C anywhere in there. Oh, there's a C. Never mind. 
Um, Jesus Christ. He's the guy that gave up McGuire's 60-second home run, too. Oh, how do I not know that? Uh, this this is from... I mean, how do you not know that? That's a very important moment in baseball. <laughs> I guess I'm not a baseball fan. All right, so this is from Hiroshuchaki Hashushanda. And I'm not... There's a lot of letters in here. Um, anyway, hey, guys. Not really a Ranger question, more so a general like, hockey question. I'm trying to understand more analytics than just Corsi. Me too. Is there a good website slash book slash YouTube channel that's basically hockey analytics for dummies to help out? Or any good Twitter followers? Appreciate the insight. Keep up the good work, boys. Shayna. Uh, Shayna up there, uh, big time. Hockey stat, wild. Hockey stat miner. Uh, I, I want to plug our website for a second, which is crazy. <gasps> I know. I forgot. Yeah, Drew has, Drew A is part of our team has an entire analytical breakdown on our website um you should check it out i'll see if i can post a link tomorrow or something like that but drew has done a great job breaking that down and drew drew way if you want to uh send a question his way i'm sure we're not analytic boys greg knows more than i do i'm trying to learn a little bit more myself and learn a little bit more for this season but i, I know drew way uh at drew underscore way will be able to point you in the right direction for that and this is the final one uh the final five star slash five star roast this week, this is from Bobby Callahan. Greg sounds like H. John Benjamin, more specifically Bob from Bob's Burgers. Hashtag roasted. Again, that's yeah. a very nice thing. Honestly, I want to thank you all for saying really nice things about us. That was super great. Um, the one, uh, I, I don't know. The one, the one guy slammed us pretty good with the uh, – <laughs> that reminds me of the time the Mets did such and such. <laughs> and you go and blast Steve Traxel's name to the high heavens. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Hey, this was a fun podcast. Uh, I hope – Everybody's ready for some actual hockey to cover. We'll be back uh, Friday morning because we're going to do a BSB OT after the first game, uh, which sounds crazy, but we are going to podcast after a hockey game this week, which is uh, something I never thought I'd say again. Greg, it's been a fun time. Glad we got through all this. We're going to have something to uh, talk about till May now, and I can't be happier. Uh, I, I told you. Yeah, Francisco Lindor. Yeah, Francisco we're good, Lindor, baby. Francisco Lindor, baby. That's it. All right, let's go, Rangers. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later this week. Love you, and uh, stay safe out there. Bye. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.